James chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. Okay, cool. Yeah, James chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. And it goes the following. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, ooh, <laughs> and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives gener- generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is dub- he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, family. So we're starting a new series uh, this evening um, in the book of James. And Dibur said that uh, Tracy just read for us now. It will be of great help for me if you uh, keep your Bibles open in that passage that we read. Um, it will be great uh, for me and obviously for you as God speaks to all of us. Um, so please keep your, your Bibles open. Uh, this series is going to take us till the end of August. Uh, so I think please be praying uh, for all of us, for me particularly as I um, meet with the Lord to prepare uh, our sermons. Uh, but I think read James along with me um, that we may be together as a family, uh, reading God's word and hearing God speak to all of us, uh, especially in this this time that we're in and the season that we're in. Um, for those who are joining us for the first time, my name is Black and I am the young adults pastor here at Christ Church Midrand. And excuse my daughter who's making noise. Um, and yeah, so I am very delighted and um, such an honor and a privilege for us to be opening up God's word together. Let me pray and then uh, we'll jump straight into it. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's living, active. Your word is sufficient for us. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word, that we know who you are. And as the book of James tells us, Lord, your word is a mirror. And through your word, we know who we are, rightly so. That we don't um, think of ourselves highly, and we ought to. Um, And we need to view ourselves in the correct light. So thank you for your word, Lord. And I pray that you may speak to us as we get into the book of James. Um, Be with those on Zoom. uh, Be with us here who are meeting in person. And I pray that your spirit may lead us. Holy Spirit, we are dependent on you. We are nothing without you. Um, And so I pray that you would really work in our hearts um, to challenge us, convict us, train us, heal us where we need to be healed and help us to live lives that are glorifying to you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. So, most of us don't agree on a lot of things, uh, and that's pretty normal. That's life. Uh, We don't have to agree uh, on anything together. Um, But here's one thing that we can all categorically agree on. uh, That 2020 rocked our lives. Amen. Amen. Unless you were living under a rock or in a cave, 
uh, you don't know what happened last year, right? 2020 changed everything. Um, as the years go by, we'll look back to 2020 and just remember uh, how earth-shattering that year was and how everything changed uh, as we know it. As you read news uh, feeds, Christian, non-Christian news feeds, you can't help but feel like you're on a roller coaster um, where people are trying to speculate what God is doing. Most of the articles I've been reading, it seems that people are trying to to pin God on the wall and say to him, give us the answer. What are you doing through this pandemic? Give us the the nuclear codes, as it were, so that uh, we can stop the bomb from detonating um, and destroying our lives. In fact, there are a couple of headlines uh, that will appear on the screen. Just to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make about these headlines, uh, listen to what Christianity Today says. Um, it says a pandemic uh, as God's judgment. Or listen to what the uh, Hartford Corrent says. If COVID-19 is a message from God, what's the message? Uh, or listen to what the Express says. Finding faith... What is God doing in a global pandemic? Or Christianity Today, again, says we prayed for healing. God brought us a pandemic. Um, So most of these articles are not bad uh, as you read them. In fact, some of them were, were helpful. But as I consider what I've been reading and some of the conversations I've had with people sitting in this room, most of us can admit that after a while last year, we just went down the rabbit hole of reading all of these articles. Um, And we can all admit that a bulk of our year was taken up by that. And again, most of us can admit that we hardly sat down with the Bible for ourselves. To ask God as Christians, as followers, as disciples, Lord, how would you have us respond in this time? Lord, can, can you help us submit under your will um, with all that is happening? Second thing that we notice about most of these articles is that they had a strong focus on God's judgment. Um, and even as Christians, most of us, our attention turned to that as well, especially when we saw a lot of prominent Christian leaders being publicly exposed for living double lives. Most of us responded to that, just like the Pharisee prays in Luke 18, verses 10 till 12. Um, Listen to what the Pharisee says in verses 11. God, I thank you, and is praying, that I am not like other men. Insert prominent Christian leader's name. Extorters, unjust, adulterers, or even like this text collector, I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. And it's easy to kind of say that. And most of us won't admit that that was some of the thoughts in our hearts. But it's easy to think that or even pray that in our hearts, in the comfort of our, our homes during lockdown. Lord, Lord, you're doing stuff out there. Judge all those people out there. Lord, this pandemic is not for me, but it's for those people out there. Lord, they've been ignoring you for years. This country has been ignoring you, Lord. My cousin who smokes nyaope, my aunt who doesn't like Christians, judge them. Not me, Lord. Um, another thing that you notice with most of these articles, not all of them, but none of them, or in fact most of them, never focused on Christian joy. The very mark that we're supposed to be bearing as Christians, especially during times of trials. If you just do a Google search, 
finding joy in the pandemic. The first top 10 links that come up, only one speaks about biblical joy. The rest, 90% of them, say that you can find joy in Bluetooth headsets. Because we're all at home having work through Zoom, and so if you want joy, find the latest Bluetooth headsets. Or you can find joy in hugs, obviously limited to those that you are quarantined with, so have a good super spreader party in your house and you'll find joy, right? Uh, If not that, you'll find joy in food or you'll find joy in stuffed animals. But I want to say this, church, and it's not me, but the book of James, and we'll see that as we go through this book for the next uh, five weeks, including this evening. The book of James will not allow for us to respond to trials, and specifically this pandemic, the same way that the Pharisee prays. The book of James will say, yes, things are happening out there, but God is dealing with you. God is dealing with me. And so instead of focusing our attention on what God might be doing out there and we're speculating, God is saying, where's your faith in this pandemic? What is the state of your faith? What is the state of your fruit? Did your Christianity suddenly end just because the president said you're under lockdown? Did your faith die just because you're confined to the four walls of your house? The book of James will not allow for us to respond like that. And the book of James won't allow for us to respond the same way that the world does. Complain about this pandemic over and over and over and over and over again. Amen? How many of us have found ourselves there? Are we just complaining the whole time? How's this pandemic? You just complain, 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 complain. And you sound no different to what the world sounds like. In fact, the book of James Church will tell us exactly what God does through trials. So we don't have to speculate. You don't have to think I'm a prophet. But we can just read God's word, and James will tell us exactly what God is doing through trials, through COVID-19, through whatever trials you're experiencing now in light of this pandemic. The book of James will give us those answers. Again, this is an opportunity for us. Um, in fact, in the morning when Royden was preaching, he said we must keep away from the internet, right? The internet is a wild space and there's a lot of things. And I would concur with that and encourage us. Let's, let's keep away from the internet, but let's read the book of James together. Let's pray together as a church, right? Let's pray as a family uh, to ask our Father what his heart is for us, especially in the season. Amen. Man, so we're going to be doing a lot of work in the book of James this evening. Um, people normally say, I don't preach with time, I preach with sense. So I feel my way, and when I feel like I'm done, then I'm done. Um, so, so I hope that tonight uh, I won't go for too long. But, but there's a lot that we need to cover. It's our first sermon, and I want us to, to kind of get a framework and the groundwork of what this book is about so that as we read it throughout the weeks, at least we have hooks to hold our thoughts um, on. So if I go any longer than I normally do, please forgive me. Um, I love you, and God loves you too, right? Um, So let's think about the framework or the makeup of the book of James. Just a couple of key things if you're taking notes. Uh, So who writes this book? It's clear from the, the title. It's James. Um, But this James is the the brother of Jesus, the same one that Paul speaks of in Galatians 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 
Who is James writing to? He tells us there in verses 1 to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Uh, these would have been Jewish Christians uh, scattered uh, all over the Roman Empire. Uh, they're outside of Jerusalem. And so James employs Old Testament uh, language that describes Israel. And he applies that same language uh, to the New Testament covenant community. Uh, these people who would have been uh, a regathered, spiritually renewed Israel. And that's where we are as well as the church, right? God has promised us to, 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 to gather all of us. And James is writing to Jewish Christians, um, and we would fall into that category, not because we're Jewish, but because we're Christians. Uh, James is not concerned about giving us new theological information, right? So he's not uh, going to try and expound on, on doctrines uh, of the Christian faith. But what James is really concerned about is saying, if you believe this stuff, and live it up. Right? Um, don't just be a Christian of lip service. Don't just be a Christian because you have a fish sticker in your car. Right? But be a Christian because you believe it and show it, apply it, live it out. Two things or influences uh, in the book of James, and this is very important. Uh, obviously, James is Jewish. He would have read the Proverbs. Um, and so the Proverbs largely influence uh, James's writing. And we'll see it. In fact, this book is written sort of like the Proverbs, right? A lot of people accuse the book of James for not having a logical structure. In fact, it is. Um, it's not like all the other epistles. So Paul would have a point and he'd build it up uh, and it'd land somewhere. But James kind of moves around and he gives us a bunch of ideas. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll see that as, as the book goes, similar to Proverbs. Another influence is the Sermon on the Mount. So as you read this week, visit Matthew 5 again. Uh, orient yourself with the Sermon on the Mount. He would have been listening to his older brother preach. Quintessential sermon of what it means to be a Christian. Right? When you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying this is what it looks like to live uh, in the kingdom of God. And James references... Um, a lot of thought from there. Again, it's, it doesn't have uh, a systematic uh, progression. It's an eclectic collection of, of short, punchy wisdom sayings. He connects them by ideas or connects them by, by words. In fact, chapter 1, James kind of gives us a, a summary of what he'll be speaking about in the rest of the book. So as you get home, please revisit chapter 1. You'll see it. Chapter 1 serves as a table of contents, really. Um, there's a, a word my wife introduced me to. If you fancy, you'll know it. Um, tapas, right? If you go to fancy restaurants, apparently they give you like little uh, portions from different meals and they put them together so that you can taste everything, right? It's a Spanish word, tapas. Um, and chapter one is really that. It's, it's the tapas of the book of James. He gives you every single portion of the menu that he's, he's going to serve us throughout the book. Um, there's a lot of themes that James covers, and you'll find them as well in chapter 1, right? Themes of joy, themes of suffering that we're going to explore this evening, uh, themes of wisdom, steadfastness, double-mindedness, riches, faith, partiality, temptation, how to use our words, uh, the theme of love. He doesn't have a theme of crazy kids. Um, so we'll pray that, that he, he does at some point. All right. So, so please do check those out. It will be really enriching and blessing for you um, as we go through the book of James together. So I titled this series, Dead Faith, right? 
And the reason for that was to contrast the, the main thrust of the book of James. James is really concerned about an active and living faith. What James wants to do is to awaken sleeping Christians. I'll say that again because I'm one of them. James wants to awaken sleeping Christians. James is saying to us, you need to wake up and realize that through our trials, God is strengthening you so that your faith may be strong and your faith may not be dead. And the word that describes or that James uses um, uh, to, to say your faith is dead is the word useless. That's what James is saying. Sleeping Christians have useless faith. Your faith is useless. It cannot be used. Why? Because this is a faith that does not produce any fruit. Royden this morning spoke about uh, abandoning the faith uh, through the, the book of Hebrews, verse chapter 5 and 6. Uh, and what James is actually saying here is that before you get to the point of abandoning the faith, it, it starts here, where your, where your faith becomes cold, where, where your faith becomes useless, where your faith just becomes the other thing that you do when you're around Christians, but it's not at the core of who you are. It doesn't define you. Uh, we don't see it lived out anymore. And if you continue along that very path, that's where you end up. Um, ending up where the author of Hebrews warns those um, Hebrews, that they'll end up apostatizing, abandoning the faith. So don't let our faith be useless. Let's wake up. Amen. What is a useless faith, though, you ask? Faith that does not love neighbor. Faith that does not take care of the poor. A faith that has one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot family square in the world. That's a useless faith. A faith that cannot tame its tongue. A faith that does not have self-control. That's what a useless faith is. Let's pause here and, and try and take all of that in. Um, and I just want to give us what we need to take away. Today, at the end of the series, what the heart of the book of James is. In fact, the summary statement will be on the screen. If you forget anything else this evening, this is what James wants you to remember. Right? James wants to encourage a spiritually renewed people, the church, you, me, sitting here, to maintain a distinctively Christian attitude anytime with anyone, anywhere they find themselves. Three simple things to remember. If you consider yourself a spiritually renewed person, you're a Christian, you trust Jesus, you believe in the Bible, you hate your sin, you want to grow in holiness, James is saying to you, maintain a distinctively Christian attitude on Sundays. No. Anytime. Only when you're with your grandmother. No. With anyone. Only when you were at church, no. Anywhere you find yourself. If that's too hard for you to remember, here's another truncated summary of what James is saying. The slide will be on the screen. James is basically saying, will the real Christian please stand up? If you consider yourself to be a blood-bought, Bible-believing, Christ-loving Christian, will you stand up? In a world that has fallen, in a world that hates Jesus, in a world that hates each other, will you stand up as a Christian? Will the real Christian please stand up? And I believe some of us have to make that decision 
today, not tomorrow. Our faith has been dwindling. It's probably dead or it's on life support. We need to make a decision this evening. Are we going to be Christians that stand up? Are we going to live what we believe? There's two main streams in the the book of James that kind of help us. They serve as as thermometers to kind of uh, check where our temperature is in light of this summary statement. Right? And this you can use to examine your own heart. The first option you have is that as you live through this pandemic and you are met with trials of various kinds, the world your sin, Satan, they will, they will tempt you to abandon your allegiance or loyalties to God. How? By relying on the world's wisdom to come up with solutions that are meant to help sustain you through these trials. That's the first option you have. How do you determine if your faith is alive or, or dead? Is this you? Through this pandemic, through the various trials that you're meeting, as your flesh, Satan, and the world tempt you to abandon God so that you can trust the world's wisdom as your sustenance through these trials? Are you relying on the world's wisdom? Or the second option, right? As you live through this pandemic and you are met with trials of various kinds, know this, unlike Satan, the world, um, and, and, and um, your sin, God is not tempting you. But he is testing, refining, renewing, growing, strengthening, solidifying your faith by calling you to rely on his wisdom, which is your only true sustenance through these trials. So as we go through the book of James for the next four weeks, um, those are the options that we need to use to examine our own hearts. Am I relying on the world's wisdom? Or am I relying on God's wisdom? Are my allegiance and loyalties tested right now, or tempted right now, to abandon God so that I can trust in the world? Or am I going to submit under the Lord as it renews, strengthens, grows, and solidifies my faith, regardless of what is happening around us? Amen. Amen. So I think with that in mind, let's, let's jump straight into verses 2. Verse 4, and hear all of this that I just mentioned play out in the first few verses of chapter 1. Listen to what James says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So already in verses 2, James does not beat around the bush. He goes straight for our necks. He comes right up in our faces and says, Christian, your natural disposition is joy. That's what's supposed to mark you. As we think of who we are, a redeemed family of servants on mission, we should add on that, that we are people of joy. That's what should mark us. We are people of joy. That should be our natural disposition. What is joy? Well, joy is a deep-rooted assurance of God's goodness for us. I'll say that again. Joy is a deep-rooted assurance 
of God's goodness towards us. And I know you might be sitting here and you're struggling with assurance, and James will give you an answer of how to push back against that thought as we continue. But know this, that this deep-rooted assurance of God's goodness for you stands, regardless of what is happening around you. No, no famine, no sword, no nakedness, no corona, no pandemic, no loss of livelihood, no political unrest, no looting, no mental illness, no emotional instability, not even death could deprive you of God's goodness towards you if you are a Christian. Amen. And what James is telling us in verses 2 till 4 is that these very trials that these Christians are experiencing, because they were going through a persecution, in fact, after James writes this letter, he gets executed shortly after this. So they were really experiencing a lot of persecution. And James is saying, it doesn't matter what is happening around you, God's goodness will not be deprived. In fact, these trials that you are going through right now, that is God's goodness towards you. I'll say that again, these very trials that you are going through is actually God's goodness towards you. That's a hard thing to say, it's a hard thing to hear. If your mind is anything like mine, when you hear that, you think that God created trials just so that he can grow my faith. That's not what James is saying. James is not saying we need to interrogate how God works uh, with, with trials, but we need to know that he is working goodness out of these trials, and we'll see what that goodness is. And James says, before we try and interrogate God and how he works through trials, let's remember this first and foremost, that if we ever complain about trials, if we say, God, why don't you just take these trials away? After all, you are God. After all, you are big. Just remove all of this. James will want to remind us that complaining about trials in a fallen world, and that's the, 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 the important phrase there, fallen world, complaining about trials in a fallen world is as good as complaining about the smell in a toilet while you are in it. Complaining about trials in a fallen world is as good as complaining about a smell in the toilet while you are in it. You creating the smell. And you ask, how, how can I stop the smell? Well, stop pooping. <laughs> but you can't, because you're a sinner. And collectively, church, we are responsible for the smell in this world. In fact, my daughter is party training now. She just learned to do number two this past week. Oh, glory to the living God. Um, but what she does now is that when she, she's doing number two, she kicks us out of the bathroom. She wants to have a privacy, right? Um, don't ask me. I don't know. It's probably a girl thing. But imagine Zaya in the bathroom doing number two. She calls me Babo. And she's doing number two and screams out, Babo! Kuyanuga! It smells! What should my response be? Well, damn, my girl, stop pooping. Then it's not going to smell. But the more you poop, the more it smells. And here's the thing with us, church. We're not in a private toilet. We are in a public toilet with many other cubicles and many other sinners adding on to the smell. Complaining about trials in a fallen world is as good as complaining about the smell in the toilet while you are in it. 
only way to stop is that if you stop sinning, but you can't. And so Jesus and Jesus alone has to awaken our hearts so that our hearts become sensitive enough so that we hate the smell. And once we hate the smell, then we can pursue the desire of stopping to add onto the poop. In fact, we'll even go to other people and convince them through the love of Christ to stop adding on to all of this. Who are we to complain about our own smell? In fact, it is God's mercy, it's God's grace, it's God's goodness that he even works through these trials to make us look more and more like Jesus. Listen to what he says in in verses 4, that all of these trials are, are, are worked so that steadfastness could have its full effect and that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. All of this, all of this, God is working so that you can look more and more like Jesus. At the end of your race, complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. And so he says, while you are here, consider a joy that God is even working through your trials. Consider a joy that God is even working through your trials. That if your life would be mocked by trials from now till you die, you would still consider that life worthy because God was working in those trials to make you good. To make you look more and more like his son. That's your natural disposition as a Christian. Be joyful. As the world is complaining about the pandemic, stand real Christian and be joyful. As the world is just saying, what is God doing through this virus? What is happening around us? Stand and be joyful and say he's working it all for the good of those who love him. Are we happy about the trials themselves? No. Anyone who enjoys the smell of poop is is insane. We're not happy about the trials themselves, but we are happy because we know what God is doing. That's the the word that James uses there in verses 3. For we know. This is certainty. This is not speculation. We're not guessing. We're not gambling. But we know for sure what God is doing. How do we know that? Well, it's based on God himself. It's not based on my emotions. It's not based on what's happening in the economy. It's not based on your political views. It's not based on your own thoughts, but it's based on God's character. He is your anchor. When people think you're crazy for being joyful through these trials, well, you say, I know who my anchor is. Unchanging, immovable, same yesterday, today, and forever. I know my God. And he's working all of this for my good. Let that be your anchor. What is God doing? James tells us that he's working steadfastness in us. What is steadfastness? Well, steadfastness is, is fortitude. It's, it's courage. It's strength of character. It's staying power. It's endurance. It's not giving up. It's staying the course waiting till the end. That's what God is doing with all of these trials. Growing your faith so that your faith produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness at the end, when it has its full effect, you'll be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Why do we need steadfastness? Well, the first reason is that. That we'll reach the end. 
that we will be lacking in nothing, we'll be perfect, we'll be complete. If a Christian is not standing in steadfastness, then the Christian is living in sin. Then the Christian is following the deception of Satan. Then the Christian is in love with the world. Those are your only options. You're either steadfast or you're following Satan, or you're following your sin, or you're following the world. There's no middle ground. Steadfastness ensures that the Christian will get to the end, the staying power that God works in us as he strengthens our faith. Why do we need steadfastness again? Your enemies are active and alive. Satan is active, sin is active, the world is active. Without steadfastness, you will remain weak. And if you remain weak, you become prey to all your enemies. So, so real Christian, you need God to produce steadfastness in you. It's not an option. You need God to produce steadfastness in you so that you persevere till you meet him face to face. Why do we need steadfastness? Well, it's the normal Christian life. If the Christian is not steadfast, then he or she is living in the world following Satan and obeying his or her sin. In fact, Peter and Paul, in their respective epistles in Romans and 1 Peter, they speak of the same process, how suffering produces endurance in Christians. And they're speaking to entirely different audiences than, than James. And so that tells us that all three apostles agreed that this is the normal Christian life. If your king suffered, and yet he was without sin, you too will suffer as you live in a fallen and broken world. If your king suffered in obedience, James is calling you to suffer in obedience as well. When he says, count it all joy, he says, as trials and tribulations happen, count it all joy, nothing else but joy. It's an opportunity for you to be obedient. When the pandemic hits, as you are a Christian and your natural disposition is joy, we're supposed to be sitting at home on our knees, in fact, saying, Lord, thank you for another opportunity to obey. Thank you for another opportunity to express my faith. Does this mean that, that we're not concerned about what's happening? Does this mean that from time to time we're not going to have anxiety about what's going on? No, it doesn't. If anxiety was a, a, an address, James is saying to you that as a Christian you don't live there. Right? If complaining was a country, James is saying to you, you don't have a passport for that country, you're passing by. So it's not that you're not going to comment on what's happening. It's not that you might not feel like complaining at other times, but you don't camp there. You camp in joy, Christian. And the reason why you camp in joy is because you know what God is producing in you. You're not camping in joy because you're excited about the pandemic. Not at all. But, Lord, it's another opportunity for us to obey you. Lord, you are growing our faith with all that's happening. Lord, I just lost my livelihood. It's weird to say thank you to God at that point. But you're joyous because you know he's growing your faith. When we hear of people dying over and over and over again, as this, this virus, this terrible thing, it takes people's lives, I'd be mourn with them and cry. But the joy that we find in all of that is knowing that God is working good for his purposes, his glory, and for our benefit. And so our permanent address, Christian, is joy. 
And so I don't stand here pretending like this is easy. Um, Again, I know most of us struggle with certainty. Um, We struggle with steadfastness. We struggle with endurance. But James doesn't leave us there. Listen to what he says in verses 5 till 8. God gives us tools of how to, um, to remain steadfast in him. If anyone of you lacks uh, wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So how do we endure? How do we remain joyful in the midst of trials, knowing that God is producing steadfastness in us? Well, James says, uh, well, you do it through wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is a practically orientated virtue that gives direction for the life of the godly person. It's basically insight into God's will as we read his word of how to apply his very word into our life. Listen to what Douglas Moore says. Wisdom will produce in her possessor fully blown godly character. So wisdom's orientation is to make you godly. As you think about God's knowledge from his word and you read God's word and you study God's word, not only that, but you apply it in your life, Wisdom will help you to live as a godly person. But why do we struggle with endurance? Why do we struggle with having joy? Well, James tells us that we don't ask for this wisdom. We simply don't ask. Verses 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. So as you get home, ask God to give you wisdom. I know sometimes we, we make a big deal about our charismatic brothers and sisters um, and how they, they're always asking God and claiming things and, and requesting stuff. Um, but what they've done is that they've actually twisted true biblical principles. It's a true biblical principle that if you ask for wisdom, God will give you. He's promising it here in this very verse in verses 5. If you ask for wisdom, he's not going to hold it back, but he'll give you. So ask for wisdom. Lord, as I live under these trials, as the world is collapsing around us, how am I supposed to respond as a Christian? Well, get in your word. Pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, will, uh, will really place that word in your heart and that you would go apply it wherever it is that you find yourself. God, by his Holy Spirit, will guide you. Ask for this wisdom, and he will give it to you. James says that God gives generously without reproach. You might not have been asking for the past 10 years that you've been a Christian. And James is saying God is not going to hold that against you. Ask today. As you get home, ask tonight. Well, Lord, I've been living in sin for the past couple of weeks, and I haven't really been reading my Bible. I don't know where I am as a Christian. God is not going to hold that against you. Go to him today. Ask for wisdom today. And God will give you wisdom generously, he says, without reproach. The second thing there is we don't endure or we don't have joy in our trials. Why? Because we are double-minded. James speaks of doubting 
and this is not an intellectual doubting, like you ask God for wisdom, and then a thought crosses your mind that God might not give you wisdom. That's not what he's saying when he's speaking about doubting. Um, Because whenever we ask stuff from God, a thought will cross your mind. But it's what you do with the thought that James is speaking about. So doubting that James is is speaking about here, um, he he says that it's it's a double-mindedness. In fact, in Psalm 12, verses 2, when you get home, read it. But the psalmist speaks of the man as double-hearted, as double-souled. Showing that there's a depth of great division in that person. At the core of who you are, which is the throne of your heart, you are forcing other things to share that seat with Jesus. There's deep division in you. That's somebody who's double-minded. That's somebody who's double-souled. Somebody who has split commitment. Somebody who has split loyalty. And split loyalty, church, is no loyalty at all. Split commitment is no commitment at all. Ask the, the, the wife of a cheating husband. Ask the, the child whose father has multiple kids with different women. Split loyalty is not loyalty at all. Split commitment is not commitment at all. That person is double-souled. Your soul, you have two souls, basically. And you've given one to someone else and you've given one to another. And just that picture alone is bizarre. A split soul is no soul at all. A split heart is no heart at all. If we can't give each other that kind of disloyalty, what makes us think that God is waiting for us to shower him with that? If somebody cheats on you... If somebody is not as loyal as they said they will be, if somebody doesn't keep their promises and everything in you cracks and you look at that person differently, what makes us think that God is calling us to be a spiritually renewed people who maintain a distinctively Christian attitude anywhere we are, but at the same time we have our allegiance everywhere else? The reason why we don't have joy in our suffering it's because we are weak. That weakness is caused by us having our allegiance given to everything else. And as a result of that, we don't have endurance. We don't have steadfastness. And what James is telling us in verses 5 is we'll remain not having endurance because we don't ask for wisdom. Or worse, you might be a double-minded Christian. As you sit here this evening... You are holding on with one hand to the wisdom of the world. You believe in the power of the universe. You believe in the blessings of your ancestors. You are relying on your own achievements, your education, your status, your own glory. You are trusting that the only way you can get through this pandemic or these trials is if you throw yourself to every single form of indulgence or passion. On another hand, you hear in the evening service, crying out for God's wisdom. You had life group during the week, burying your soul with other Christians, asking them to carry your load as you live as a Christian. Split loyalty is no loyalty at all. Split commitment is no commitment at all. You don't have joy because your mind, your heart, your soul, your being is given to others and not God himself. 
You have chosen option one. And through these trials, in this pandemic, whatever it is that you're going through, the only way you're going to sustain yourself is if you rely on the world's wisdom. When the lockdown happened, and the president told us that we can't go anywhere, and you thought to yourself, how am I going to survive this lockdown? Maybe I should call Bay. If I call Bay, we'll be together throughout the lockdown. The church is not going to see that we're together, you know? We'll go, we'll go on Zoom, but we'll switch off our camera. How am I gonna? How am I gonna be sustained? <laughs> well, you relied on the world's wisdom. Bay was your God. The world's wisdom told you that's how you're gonna survive. Is it good to save money? Yeah, we should. But when the pandemic happened, was that your first thought? How am I going to survive here? Let me go get all the money I can get. First thought wasn't God. I thought, how am I going to preserve myself? Your first thought was not God. Your loyalties are split. And here's the scary thing that James says in verses 7. Listen to what he says. Verses 7, um, for that person, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you're double-minded, don't expect God to give you wisdom that will help you endure. Don't expect God that he will strengthen your faith through these trials so that you can have joy in what God is doing. Don't expect that. You have turmoil in your heart now because you claim to be a Christian, a Bible-believing, Christ-loving, sin-hating Church-loving Christian, but your allegiance are elsewhere. You're wondering why you have turmoil in your heart. Because God is not answering your prayer. That's a scary place to be in. Because we are double-minded if that's where you are. James does something here. Uh, We're going to end here. But in verses 5, he uses the word generously, speaking of how God gives this wisdom. And what James is doing with that word, he's contrasting double-mindedness with God's single-mindedness of giving you this wisdom. What James is saying to you here is that God is not double-minded. He's not going to hold your past against you. God is not going to hold your sin against you. Yes, you failed in the past. Yes, you had your loyalty split. You've had your allegiance split. But God is saying, I have a single-minded focus on giving you wisdom, of sustaining you, of growing your faith, of making sure that you get to the end. I'm not focusing on anything else, but I'm looking at you, and I'm here for you. Ask for wisdom, and I will give you generously. My single-mindedness is focused on you compared to the double-mindedness of the Christian who has his feet in the kingdom of God and another in the world. So if you hear this, repent today of your double-mindedness. If you're sitting here this this evening and you have no joy in these struggles and all you're doing is that you've been marked by complaining over and over and over and over again, you're on the internet going down a rabbit hole of all these articles telling you how the world is going to end tomorrow as though your father did not tell you what's going to happen. Repent of your double-mindedness. Go back to God's word. Cry out for God's wisdom. 
Repent of your double-mindedness today if you've trusted in the wisdom of the world. You've said you're a Christian, but not even people at your office can recognize that you're one. Not even your own family can recognize that you're one. Because it's just lip service. But you don't live it out. Your faith is useless. Your faith is dead. Repent of your double-mindedness today. God is waiting for you. Single-minded focus to receive you as he grows you through all that is happening around you. Don't be like the Pharisee. But I'm glad you're not judging me. You expose that guy. And I've always known that that guy is dodgy. It's fine if he's dodgy. That's God's business. Where are you? As we read the book of James for the next five weeks, it's good and well that you would think of taking notes for your friends or inviting somebody to the service. But God wants your heart. God wants your allegiance. God wants your faith. So let us all repent of our double-mindedness and come to God. Generously give, give ourselves. Right? As Paul says in, in Romans 12, uh, that we give of our bodies as a living sacrifice. That we're not double-minded about where our ears belong, where our hands belong, where our bodies belong, where our hearts belong. We single-handedly give those to God, single-mindedly give all of that to God. So that you, can be, you could be encouraged as a spiritually renewed person to know that God wants you to maintain a distinctively Christian attitude anytime, with anyone, anywhere you find yourself. Amen.